This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today our guest is Dr. David Carbone. David is the director of the James Thoracic Oncology Center, and he's a lung cancer specialist. He's also an expert on a new and exciting cancer treatment called immunotherapy. You may have heard about it. It's on the news a lot these days. And that's what we're going to talk about today, immunotherapy, which put simply are drugs that help your body's immune system recognize and attack cancer cells. David, welcome to the James Cancer-Free World podcast. Well, thank you very much, and it's a pleasure for me to talk about this exciting new type of cancer treatment. And it's a pleasure for us to have you here. And before we dive into immunotherapy, I think it would help if you gave us a little background on the body's immune system, sort of how it works, and how cancer cells are able to trick and avoid it and create tumors and, and all kinds of havoc. So let's, I think we should start there. Okay. Well, the immune system is an incredibly complex system that's evolved over millions of years to protect us from outside invaders. And typically, you think of viruses and bacteria being recognized by the immune system and cleared uh, by your immune system. But it's also true that the uh, cancer cells, when they develop, uh, have different features that can be recognized by the immune system. And cancers that become clinically a problem, become apparent to us, must have avoided that immune clearance mechanism. And it's exactly those features that we can target with immunotherapy. So when the immune system is working properly and a cancer cell develops, what happens? How does the immune system sort of attack it? So the immune system has many different mechanisms of recognizing and killing things that are not supposed to be there. Uh, the one system that's probably most important for cancer therapy is, is called T cells. Uh, these are, uh, T comes from the word thymus, but they're a type of white blood cell that can specifically recognize things that are not supposed to be there and kill the cell expressing that thing that's not supposed to be there. And in the case of a cancer, uh, what it recognizes is, um, changes in proteins that happen in cancer cells that are different from normal cells. So the T cell can sniff out, recognize these uh, changing proteins. Correct. And it's extremely sensitive. There's 20,000 different proteins in a cell. Each protein is made up of thousands of amino acids sometimes, and or at least hundreds for a typical protein. And, and these T cells can recognize a single amino acid out of those wow. in those proteins that's different from what's supposed to be there. So this is going on, I don't want to say all the time, but it goes on frequently in the body where these uh, invade these cancer cells form and the body and the T cells just wipe them out. We're constantly exposed to cosmic rays, diesel exhaust, radon, all kinds of things. And then, of course, if you're a smoker, cigarette smoke and the all of those things damage your DNA, and damage to DNA results in altered protein sequences, which are effectively cleared, uh, and the cells expressing those altered proteins are effectively killed by your normal immune system. And so it's thought that many uh, cancers arise throughout your lifetime that never get beyond a few cells, and the immune system clears them out. Whereas uh, the ones that we can see, like I was saying, 
must have avoided that response. So do you know, how do they avoid it? What do the cancer cells, how do they mutate or, or create some sort of barrier? So there's many ways that they can do that. Um, the one that we've been able to capitalize is uh, by overexpressing a protein called PDL1. PDL1 uh, stands for pro, pro, uh, programmed death ligand 1, um, but PDL1 expression on the cancer cell uh, engages another receptor on T cells that turns the T cell off. So this expression of PDL1 in cancers tells the immune system, oh, this is something that's supposed to be here, and it's like a force field around uh, the cancer where when an immune cell comes to kill, ready to kill that tumor, it sees this PDL1 and it just turns off. Well, I like that analogy because you can visualize, I guess, from Star Trek, a force field forming around these cells yeah. and the T cells just r- glide right by and keep going and then the cancer cells just keep growing. So, wow. So that's how cancer cells form and then migrate throughout the body. So this brings us to immunotherapy. How And from what I understand, you're one of the people... 20 some years ago, who really was at the forefront of looking at PDL1 and coming up with immunotherapy? Well, PDL1 was not discovered 20 years ago. It was, it's actually only fairly recently described. Uh, my work years ago involved showing that T cells can recognize specific mutations in cancer proteins in cancer cells and uh, trying to boost that immunity. The the problem 20 years ago was that we were learning about this process. We knew it could happen theoretically, but we knew it wasn't happening. And we could tell that there was some mechanisms that the cancers used to turn off the immune system, and those were just being defined. So the PDL1 a few just a few years ago was was defined as being a major pathway for immune evasion and companies and laboratories developed antibodies against that pathway which could effectively turn off the force field. Okay, so when you were first doing this research you didn't have the genetic testing coding necessary to figure out what was going on but you knew something was going on and figured out the basics of how to target it and it was later when you were able to fully code the yeah. DNA that you figured out what to target. As with any major advance, this is an effort of hundreds right. of scientists. It's certainly not um, one person or another that that causes this. But the the fact is that, that we knew something was going on and, and now we have effective agents that can overcome this effect. We're going to get to that in a second, immunotherapy, but first we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Dr. David Carbone. Pelotonia is driven by their vision, a world where we are all healthier and empowered to live our best lives, lives filled with hope and possibility. In only nine years, the Pelotonia community, through their annual cycling event, has raised more than $157 million to accelerate funding for innovative cancer research at the James. The Pelotonia community knows that when we push ourselves individually and as a community, we can achieve great things. 
As Pelotonia celebrates their 10th anniversary, Pelotonia wants you to be part of making this vision a reality. To learn how you can get involved, please visit pelotonia.org. That's P-E-L-O-T-O-N-I-A.org. Let's change the world together. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At the James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Dr. David Carbone on the James Cancer Free World podcast, and now we're about to talk about how immunotherapy works. So, David, lead us through the process. Well, immunotherapy, as as has been found to be most effective today, blocks these, turns off these force fields that I was discussing, and they're... PD-1 is probably the major one that's targeted, especially in lung cancer right now. Uh, There are other immunotherapies that are uh, being moved forward clinically. But the PD-1 therapy has made dramatic uh, differences in cancer patients today and is now uh, approved for my, um, my area of interest, which is lung cancer. These are antibodies. They're not really drugs. They're human antibodies, just like the ones that are circulating in everyone's bloodstream, but they've been engineered to turn off this force field by binding to PDL1 or another related protein, PD1. And in a fraction of patients, uh, these antibodies, when you give them uh, to patients, cause dramatic regressions of the cancer with usually virtually no side effects. So this is almost a miraculous therapy in some patients. And we have patients, I have patients, that have taken these drugs for just a few months, had a complete resolution of their cancer, and are now, have now been off of therapy for years with no evidence of progression uh, when they started with in, otherwise incurable metastatic disease. So this has been a transformational new therapy in lung cancer. Overall, are you able to sort of give, I don't know if this is the right term, but success rates or longevity rates compared to before immunotherapy? It's very important to emphasize that not everyone benefits from this therapy. If you take unselected lung cancer patients, only about 20% of them will have major responses. From immunotherapy. From immunotherapy, maybe a little more. If you select your patients for those that have tumors that have high levels of PDL1, then the response rates could be in the 40% range. Oh, okay. So it's, and some people have no response at all to these agents. So the, the whole paradigm for really intelligent science-based uh, therapy of cancers today is identifying the Achilles heels of cancers and one person's cancer is totally different from every other cancer. And each cancer, uh, we look for these Achilles heels. In one person's cancer, it could be a driver oncogene mutation, an EGFR, ALK, or BRAP. In another person's cancer, it could be overexpression of the PDL1. And we've learned to use science and to analyze the tumors 
and try to match the best treatment to the to each patient. So how do you determine in one of your lung cancer cancer patients which one has the high expression of PDL1? So you referred to it previously as a genetic test, but it's actually important to know that the PDL1 test is not a genetic test. Oh, okay. PDL1 is a protein biomarker and it's an imperfect protein biomarker. With the genetic tests that help us decide on targeted therapies, we now are able to call, if, if a person has a particular genetic abnormality, we can uh, treat with a drug and have a effectiveness in 98% of patients in, in the, with that marker. With immunotherapy, we're just learning how to best select patients. And the PDL1 marker is not a perfect marker. We just published a few months ago uh, that tumor mutation burden um, complements PDL1 and helps you identify patients with um, the best chance of responding. And if you have a high tumor mutation burden and a high PDL1, you had about a 75% chance of remaining progression-free at a year. With, with the immunotherapy? With immunotherapy alone. And that, uh, the thing you just said, the uh, tumor... Mutation mut- burden. Meaning it metastasizes and goes throughout the body? No, or, the, or the, the tumor the mutation burden, I think, is a technical term, but it's one that even patients will hear about, I think, in the future, because it's becoming an important marker. This... This counts the number of differences that a cancer cell has compared to a normal cell. Some cancers may only have 10 or 12 protein differences between it and a a normal cell. In lung cancer or melanomas or or some other cancers, you can have hundreds or even thousands of different differences between cancer and normal cells. And each of those represents a potential target for the immune system. So it makes sense that if a cancer has more targets, you're more likely to, to hit one. Okay. So PDL one is sort of the first protein marker that you found in, in numerous lung cancer patients and that you can then attack through um, immunotherapy. immunotherapy. Right. Are, could there be more? Are you working, finding more? The immune system is incredibly complicated and my hope is that this, these PD-1 pathway targeting drugs are just the first wave of effective immunotherapies targeting other regulatory mechanisms that cancers have. And so this patient may need this pathway targeted, but another patient may need another pathway targeted. And again, really understanding that process through science uh, will help us treat our patients better. But are, are there specific and markers that seem to show promise that this could be a target that you and others are here and around the country are looking at? There's there's many other pathways that are being investigated here and okay. elsewhere, and each of those has potential biomarkers, but we're still uh, just learning how to best uh, assess that. And I know scientists such as yourself are always cautious and don't like to say, oh, we have six or seven that we're looking at. But but I think what you're saying is there could be you and others all around the world. Researchers are looking at all these different possible biomarkers and doing the initial data gathering and research to find out 
if this is ready for clinical trials and so on. So there's a, a lot in a complex machine like a, a tumor or a tumor interacting with a host. There's a lot of different things that can go wrong. It's it's like we've just discovered how to fix flat tires on a car, but there's a lot of other things that can happen besides flat tires to cause problems with a car. So give me a sense of, since you've been doing this for a while, and I, I know I've heard you talk before that years ago when you started, there was just very few options, chemotherapy with some bad side effects, and in some cases, you couldn't even do chemotherapy. What? How's it sort of gone forward over these years? Well, it's been completely dramatically changed in the last few decades. I've been in this business about 30 years now, close to it. And when I started, I would say the majority of lung cancer patients got no cancer therapy at all. They just got symptomatic therapy with painkillers and... And, uh, and they would die. And they Is would that, die very yeah. quickly. And the average time from diagnosis to death was between four and six months. <clears throat> now, we have things to offer to many patients. And again, I want to emphasize these great new treatments don't work in everybody. Right. But in subsets of patients where they work, we have people who are now five, six, seven, eight years with no evidence of cancer who had metastatic disease and probably would have lived six months in the past who now have normal qualities of life uh, off of drug years later. So precision medicine and immunotherapy are two of the big reasons why this has happened. Absolutely. And so what do you see happening with immunotherapy and precision medicine 5, 10, 15 years in the future? How's, how much better and how much better prognosis will you get? Well, the hope is that we'll have incremental progress and then, and then the quantum leaps like we've had with the discovery of the first targeted agent was a major improvement that happened rapidly. And then we've been tweaking on that progress for years, developing second, third generation drugs that work better, get penetrate the brain better. And then we've developed immunotherapy, which was another quantum leap in the uh, treatment of, of lung cancer. And, and now we're in the process of discovering other similar mechanisms better choosing patients for particular therapies. I can't predict when the next quantum leap is going to happen. I wish I could. I'd invest in that company. Okay. <laughs> um, we've talked a lot about uh, immunotherapy for lung cancer and how it targets the PDL one And I know that's your area of expertise. But in general, in other forms of cancer, what is, what is sort of the, the state of the art of immunotherapy? So... Uh, immunotherapy really was first developed in melanoma. Okay. And it's a standard approved therapy in melanoma, which is also a cancer that has many genetic mutations that we were talking about that are potentially immune targets because these occur from sunlight uh, damage to your skin. Immunotherapy has found a role in many, if not most, cancers uh, today. Uh, colon cancer with certain genetic markers like mismatch repair, <clears throat> certain types of breast cancer even, um, renal cell cancer, bladder cancer, head and neck cancer. There's a role for immunotherapy in many different cancer types because it's a common mechanism of the immune system surveils the entire body and all of the different tumor types uh, are prone to this kind of killing, but some more than others. And is it having the same kind of positive results in all these other cancers that it has in lung cancer? Um, 
different degrees in different tumors, but there are examples of amazing successes in, in other cancers. Probably the, the other solid tumor, which recently was discovered to be effectively treated, is the colon cancer with, a, with this particular genetic defect called mismatch repair defect. And those patients have a very high response rate to immunotherapy where they would have been uh, had a very poor prognosis with standard therapies. Wow. So as someone who has been doing this for 30 years, what's it like to sort of be at the cutting edge of this new technology to now have options for your patients that will prolong their lives or maybe even cure their cancer? That must be... Well, it's very gratifying, um, especially since I also have a PhD in molecular biology and genetics, that when I started, the PhD world was very disconnected from the medical world. It was mostly... In medicine, we discovered new treatments by scraping fungus off of rocks in the bottom of the ocean and seeing if it killed things in tissue culture. And and in science, we were starting to discover genetic changes and molecular uh, pathways. And now it's very exciting for someone like myself where the two are completely integrated. We don't start any treatment on lung cancer patients or many cancer patients today until we do a molecular profile of the cancer, genetic analysis, protein expression analysis. And we, we have designed these treatments because of the science and I really think that the science is going to lead us to the next generation of treatments through research. And it, and it seems like here at the James and at other places, that collaboration between scientists working on the bench and doctors in clinics is now the standard that it may, may not have used to have been that way. And now you work more closely together and that accelerates this progress. We are very fortunate in an academic environment to to work closely between the research lab and the and the clinic and not just bring things from the lab to the clinic we we study samples from patients and bring it back to the lab and we learn new th- new science because of our observations in patients and this this is a amazingly exciting time uh, to do that well, thank you for sharing it, and it really is exciting, and good luck as you, you and others continue down the path of immunotherapy. Well, you're very welcome. I wish we could help more people, but once the successes that we are having are very uh, gratifying, and they're helping people today. Thank you, and thank you for being here on our podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.